Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. It is good for us to be together and to gather around the truth of the gospel this Easter Sunday. And uh, that's where we're headed today. But before we open up God's Word together, I just want to remind you that next Sunday here at Wildwood is going to be a very special day and that we're going to have baptisms as a part of our worship services. As a, as a result of that, we'll only have two services next Sunday, one at 945 and one at 11 o'clock. We'll have 20 people baptized in those two services, professing their faith in Christ. And we are so looking forward to the opportunity of celebrating new life in Him next week. So we'd love to see you back in 945 or 11 o'clock next Sunday. Well, as we uh, gather here today, uh, it is Resurrection Sunday. It is Easter Sunday. And that reminds us that this has been a very busy weekend. I don't know if it's been busy for you, but it it, it has for us, and I'm I'm sure for many of you, as this weekend has involved making plans, uh, who you're going to see, friends, family to get together with. Maybe you're excited about that, it's filling your calendar, or maybe your time has been preoccupied with who you're not able to see this year, either because of distance or because of death. But there are things on our calendar or not on our calendar that have our attention. Maybe if you're a parent, you've spent some time getting an Easter basket together or scattering some eggs for a hunt. Maybe you've gone out and bought some special clothes just for today. But there are a number of things that are going on Uh, right now that could gather our attention. And that's true every year at Easter time. But this year in particular, there's also some other things that might grab our attention. If you're a University of Kansas basketball fan, I am sorry. (laughs) But maybe your attention was wrapped up with the Final Four this weekend. Or if you have a child that plays soccer, maybe you began your weekly pilgrimage out to Griffin Park for the spring yesterday. But there are a number of things, maybe it's even this coming week with the teacher walkout and the the specter of of those things impacting your life and your schedule. There are a number of things on our minds um, as it heads towards this year. And because of that, it's possible that we have seen the events of Easter just slip by. We look up and it's Easter Sunday, and yet we've not spent any time really thinking or meditating on the significance of this day. Well, if that describes you, then my hope is with the few minutes that we have together now that as we open God's word, that the truth of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the hope of Easter, that we could just meditate on it and find its implications and its applications for our life today. So as we gather this morning, I want us to see three things about Easter. The first thing that I want us to see is this. Easter is about death in resurrection. Easter is about death and resurrection. At the center of the Easter story is the center of Christianity. It speaks about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, make no mistake, these events are the pivot point in history, the most significant things that have ever happened. And we see that in part in that it is referenced in every single gospel account. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were these four works that were written about the life of Christ and included in our New Testament. And 
in each of those gospels, it ends with the story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew 26 to 28, Mark 14 to 16, Luke 22 to 24, and John 18 to 21. All four gospels end with the account of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, well, of course they do. Let's think about what all four gospels don't include. All four Gospels don't include the account of the birth of Jesus. You know, Matthew and Luke both talk about the birth of Jesus, but Mark skips it entirely. John talks about Jesus' existence from eternity past, but doesn't talk about the shepherds and the magi. It's significant when we look at the fact that all four gospel accounts, every single one, gives not just a verse or two, but significant space to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because of that, we cannot escape the fact that Jesus' death and resurrection are the most critical events in the history of the world, and today we gather to remember them. Now, I want us to to use one of those sections of God's Word that talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus as kind of our anchor for this first point in our message. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 24, because in Luke chapter 24, we see the death and the resurrection front and center inside of the Gospels. Now, chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1 says this, it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. Now, when we see that verse on the page, the word that ought to jump out at us is the word but. Chapter 24, verse 1 begins with the word but. That means that it's a continuation, has connection to what just happened. So what just happened in chapter 23 of Luke? Well, in chapter 23 of Luke, we have the crucifixion of Jesus. We see it play out in really three movements. First of all, there was his arrest his trial by human authorities, and Pontius Pilate handing Jesus over to be crucified in chapter 23, verses 22 through 25. Once that verdict comes down, Jesus actually heads to the cross where he's nailed there, and he dies in chapter 23, verses 44 through 46, offering his life as a sacrifice for our sins. And then the chapter ends and verses 50 through 56, talking about Jesus being taken down off of the cross, his lifeless body wrapped in cloths and placed inside of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. You might have noticed we sang that earlier in the song. You see, in chapter 23, we have the death of Jesus articulated as a significant moment in history. So when we get to chapter 24, the story continues. After talking about the death of Jesus, chapter 24 talks about his resurrection. It says in verse 1, but on that first day of the week, at early dawn, they being the women who went out to the tomb, and they took with themselves spices that they had prepared. They were going to prepare his body for burial. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. 
and they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping in, looked in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Friends, what we see in chapter 24 is the indisputable historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some women go out to the tomb to care for Jesus' body, and when they get there, they look inside the tomb, and they don't see Jesus. You can imagine what was going through their their hearts and minds. The Scripture says they were perplexed. They were distressed. They thought someone had stolen his body. But angels show up and remind these women that Jesus was not stolen. He was resurrected just as he had promised them previously. And based on what they saw with their eyes and based on what they heard from the angels and based even on what they remembered that Jesus had taught them as they were reminded by the angels, they became convinced, absolutely convinced, that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And they ran back and they told the disciples who initially had some doubt and skepticism, but we would see over the next several hours that they too would become convinced that Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Friends, at the center of Easter is a death and a resurrection. We can't get away from it. The most significant events in history. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about Easter and we talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, why do we make such a big deal about his death and his resurrection? I mean, just think about it. Jesus died, and and we, we might want to reduce his death to merely the death of a martyr. And there are a number of other martyrs who gave their life for what they believed. Think about Stephen in the book of Acts who was stoned because of his belief. Why do we not have a Stephen day where we're getting together to remember him? And even with the issue of the resurrection, there are other people who were resurrected. Think about Lazarus. We talked about this last week. In the first century, people gathered at Palm Sunday in part to see Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Why do we not have a Lazarus day? Why is it that Jesus' death... And Jesus' resurrection are what we have termed here the most significant events in history. Why do we gather 2,000 years later to remember them and to celebrate? Well, friends, it's for at least a couple of reasons, right? The first reason why we gather to remember this is because of who Jesus was and who he is. He's the Son of God. Jesus did not die because of a belief in someone else. He died because of who he was. And because of who he was, the sinless, spotless Son of God, he was able to offer his life as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Because of that, his death is extremely significant, and we remember it, and we reflect on it, and we worship because of it. But not only do we think about that with his death, but but also his resurrection solidified the understanding because he called his shot. It reminds us of his identity. So one of the reasons why we gather and and hold his death and his resurrection in different category is because of who he was. But the second reason why it's significant is because of what it accomplishes for us. 
And with the remainder of our time today, I want to look at what the death of Jesus and what the resurrection of Jesus accomplished for you and me in an incredible story of give and take. The first thing that I want us to see is what is taken from us. And what's taken from us, Paul says in his letter to the Colossians, is that Jesus' death takes the penalty for all of our sin. Jesus' death takes the penalty for all of our sin. Now, this is central to our understanding of the gospel, and so it's important, again, for us to remember the central truth of Christianity, this this gospel, this good news and message. The entire Bible teaches us what Romans summarizes for us in just a few verses. The first thing is that all of us are sinners, All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. If you've walked in here and you thought, I'm the only sinner in the room, you are mistaken. If you walked in here and feel like I'm not a sinner at all, you're mistaken. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And the challenge for that is that there is a payment or a payoff for our sin, a result, a consequence. And that is that because of our sin, we are separated from God. The Bible calls it the wages of sin is death or separation from God. That's the price that my sin and your sin deserves. But because God loves us, he did not want us to be separated from him. And so God made a way for the penalty that our sins deserve to be paid. And of course, that payment that God made was when he loved us so much that he sent Jesus into the world to die on the cross for our sins. His death was standing in our place. And the way that that truth gets activated and applied to each one of us is when we believe. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we can be saved. How are we saved? We're saved by the truth of the gospel, by trusting and believing that Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sin. Friends, this is the message of the gospel, and this is what makes Jesus' death so significant. But the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 will describe what Jesus accomplished on the cross in, very, in a very vivid and powerful way. In verse 12 and then down in verse, the end of verse 13 through verse 15. This is what Paul says in these verses. He says, having been buried with Jesus in baptism. He talks about how somehow, some way, you and I if we are trusting in Christ, have found ourselves connected with his death and with his burial. We'll come back to that in just a moment. He continues and says, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Friends, what we see in Colossians chapter 2 is how God makes it possible for sinful people like you and me to be forgiven. We're forgiven when our lives are connected with the death of Christ. Well, how does that happen? Well, he says here that when Jesus went to the cross and when his body was nailed there, what was nailed there with him was something very significant. 
a certificate that details all of our sin. Now, this was not literally a book because that book would have been really heavy just for me, much less the sin of all the world. But in a figurative way, a certificate that detailed all of our sin was nailed with Jesus to that cross so that his death would have been the sufficient payment for all of our sin. It says in chapter chapter 2 there that what happened was it was canceled. This record was canceled. That's a, a, in the original language, it talks about something that may have been written in wax. In other words, if you had kind of wax that was spread out and you took a, a stick and you wrote in that wax a representation of all of our sin, what is indicated here in chapter 2 was that Jesus on the cross basically heated that wax and took his hand and wiped it clean so that the record against us was canceled. It disappeared. Maybe give us a more contemporary example. How many of you ever played with an Etch-A-Sketch as a kid? You ever take that Etch-A-Sketch and you draw on it? How would you make it go blank again? Just show me. You'd shake it, right? You'd write on that edge of sketch and you would shake it and it would go away. And in a sense, what we see in Colossians chapter 2 is that when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sins that were written out, Jesus just shook it up so that it went away. And then it was nailed to the cross with him and then buried in the tomb to be done away with forever. Friends, I'm guessing as you came in here today that there are things from your past that you're not proud of, and there is guilt and shame that you even carried in this morning like a burden on your shoulders. You can't believe you did that. You can't believe you didn't do that. You can't believe you said that. You can't believe you didn't say that, and you've carried that in, and you've carried it for years, and it is like shame and guilt and burden that is weighing you down. And you hope that no one in this room becomes aware of what you have done. Guess what? God already knows. God already wrote it on a piece of paper. God already shook it up and nailed it to the cross so that you could be forgiven. To maybe put it in another term, how many of you have ever paid off a debt? You have a a car payment or a house payment and you, you pay it off one day. Not a lot of hands going up. Dave Ramsey class we offered this summer. Um, <laughs> my guess is that at least some of you have this experience, right? Where you have paid off a debt. And, and, and the debt that began as $100,000 or the debt that began as $15,000, month by month you made a payment. And guess what? When you made that last payment, what happened? You got a title, You got a piece of paper that said paid in full, and the debt that you once had over your head is now removed from you forever. The excitement of that feeling. Friends, think about this for our spiritual lives. If we feel like there is a a weight of debt about us, you know what Jesus' plan for dealing with that weight was? It wasn't for us to pay it off incrementally, a week at a time in church attendance. It wasn't for us to pay it off incrementally, a day at a time, through our devotion or hard work. His plan for paying it off was to 
write it on a piece of paper and nail it with his son to the cross so that we might have the paper of our life handed back to us, written at the top, paid in full, free indeed. Friends, that's why we remember the death of Christ on our behalf. Because it is through his death that we find our debt paid, our sin forgiven, our hope secured. Whether you are here today and you have never trusted in Christ, or you're here today and this is a message that you have believed long ago, the reality of that statement are available for you. If you already know Christ, be reminded and encouraged that it is paid in full. And if you do not know Christ, then a little later on this morning, you're going to have an opportunity to embrace by faith, right where you sit, this freedom-giving payment that Jesus made on our behalf. Jesus' death takes the penalty, not for some, but for all of our sin. But what about his resurrection? If Jesus' death takes the penalty for all of our sin, what does his resurrection do for us? Friends, Jesus' resurrection gives us all his life. Jesus' resurrection gives us all his life. You know, one of the things that happens inside of Christianity from time to time is that people will complain that Christians just have some kind of eternal fire insurance that we're just interested in the death of Jesus so that we have our sins forgiven and then we go about and, and do whatever we want to with the rest of our lives. Friends, if that is your perspective, I've got my eternity secured, what I do with today doesn't matter, then you are forgetting the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. Because just as Jesus was resurrected from the grave, so we too have the opportunity to walk about in newness of life. We are connected not just with his death, but also with his resurrection. And through his resurrection, he gives us the opportunity for life. Now, we see this in chapter 2, verses 6, down through verse 13. I want to read those for us and then unpack a little of its significance for us. Paul writes and says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses." Now, friends, as we look at these verses, we see Paul very much interested in our everyday lives, encouraging us to see the connection between the resurrection of Jesus and God's plan for our today, not just our tomorrow. We see a number of things listed here that Jesus has done for us. Uh, first of all, we see Paul reminding us to walk in him, just as we have have come to know Christ in this way, so walk in him. In other words, don't just have fire insurance. Have 
his life, his resurrection, empower us for daily living. Because we have been rooted and and built up in him. Jesus' desire is not just to connect us to himself, but to actually see a transforming work happen in our everyday lives. To see our lives resemble him. Because he has this work that is going on in our lives, we're to have thanksgiving and abound in that thanksgiving because God is at work in us. We're to be thankful for that. You know, sometimes we, we might think of our practice of Christianity as just some religion, something we attend on occasion, every Sunday even, some activities that we're a part of. But what we see Paul say here is that it's not just about some philosophy. It's not just about some empty deception. Later on, he'll, he'll go on and he'll talk about a, other, a, a number of other religious practices. I think he's talking about all those things here. He says, You're, Jesus died for you not so that you could practice a religion. He died for you so that you could be alive in Christ, living the life that he's called us to live. Not only that, but just as Jesus was filled up with the fullness of God, this amazing statement happens there in verses 9 and 10. We have been filled up with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What an amazing promise that God has given to us. We've been filled up with the Spirit of God. No wonder he wants us to to live a new life in him. He's gone to the work to build us up, to root us in him, to, to fill us with his Spirit. And then he uses the language of the resurrection when he talks about us being raised up and us being made alive in him in verses 12 and 13. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that Jesus died not just to take care of our past sin, but he was resurrected in order to offer us a newness of life. See, if, if we, just think, think of the, the premise of what we've just talked about here. If we are rooted in him, if we are built up in him, if we are filled up with the Holy Spirit, if we are raised up with Christ, doesn't it make sense that we would live for him? This is the truth of the resurrection. God wants our lives to matter, and yet all too often we spend time going back to that old, sinful, and selfish side of us. You know, the women who went to see Jesus on that first Easter morning, they went and they looked in the tomb, but he wasn't there. Why? Living people don't hang out in tombs. He is not here. He's risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And friends, if we are connected to the resurrection of Jesus, if we have been raised up with him, why do we keep going back to the tomb of our life and trying to find some kind of purpose there? Why do we keep going back to the addiction? Why do we keep going back to the destructive behavior? Why do we, why do we keep living in the lowest common denominator of life instead of walking and following Christ on into a newness of life? Why do we just depend upon ourselves? Why do we not look to him? Friends, as we gather here on this Easter Sunday, we need to be reminded, all of us, of what his death and what his resurrection have accomplished for us. His death paid the penalty for our sin, not in installments, but in full, in one sufficient sacrifice on the cross so that we might be forgiven. But his resurrection invites us to not spend our lives in the tomb, but to follow him into newness of life.
That's why we gather at Easter and we call it the most significant events in history. Because through it, we have our life, our eternal life, but also our life today. Friends, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And and as I do that, if you are here today and you want that life that Jesus offers, you, you walked in today under the weight and the burden of your sin, but you want him to shake it clean and have Jesus' death be the full payment for your sin. If that's the case, then know that right where you sit, right where you are, as I pray, you can express your desire and faith in God. And the truths of what we've talked about will not be true for you just someday. They can be true for you today. It was Easter Sunday, 1990, when I first trusted in Christ. I would love to have the same spiritual birthday with some other brothers and sisters in the room. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for the the hope of the gospel. Thank you for letting us know about the events of Easter so that as we gather around it today, we can remember that his death paid the penalty for our sins and we can remember that his resurrection offers us the hope of a newness of life. Father, the beauty of the gospel is something that goes beyond our comprehension and yet you give us the opportunity through the work of your grace to embrace and believe its truth. And I pray, Father, for all in this room that every heart would be trusting and believing in Jesus today. We pray these things in his name.